So will you pray with me as we get started? Lord, we thank you for Christmas, for your coming, and for this season in which we live right now. We ask that as we continue to hear and live your story, that you would speak to us through your people and through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. During the season of Christmas, we know that we're actually a people of story, right? This is a time when we tell stories. We read this Christmas story to our children. We share it on Christmas Eve. We tell it through our songs. And the story shapes us, and it reminds us of who we are and of who God is in our midst. And so... As we continue to look at the story, we're going to look at what God has done and what God is doing in our world and in our lives. But before we get into the Christmas story, we need a little bit of history. Israel falls to Assyria in 723 BC, and Judah falls to Babylon in 597 BC, before Babylon destroys Jerusalem. And the kingdoms lose their rulers, and their autonomy, and their freedom. But the people of God learn that the story of God is that he's not done with them, even when they don't have a king. The story just looks different than they imagined that it was going to. And so it turns out that even in exile, even without a king, God has not forgotten them, And it turns out that God's people don't forget him either. And then God's prophets go silent. And God's people are challenged to recount his story during the rule of other kings and other kingdoms who take over and conquer them and their land. Through the reigns of the Persians and the Macedonians and the Greeks. And God's people do tell his story. They faithfully remember what God has done, who God is, and what God has promised that he will do. In this time of diaspora, when the Israelites and Judeans are scattered all around the world, the promises of God are remembered and they're shared. News spreads of Israel's long-awaited Messiah, who is the heir to David's throne. The prophecy of Isaiah 9 reminds us and promises that the anointed one of Israel will bring peace to the world. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us. A son has been given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. 
He will establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. God has promised. And so mother and father tell daughter and son and families tell their neighbors. And the promise of the Jewish king who will bring peace to the world spreads throughout the neighboring nations around Israel. And God promises that those nations will also come to his anointed one. In Isaiah 60... Maybe. There we go. In Isaiah 60, God promises, Arise, shine, for your light has come. (laughs) I'm going to read from my words. (laughs) For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you. And his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. The wealth of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come, bearing God and incense and bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. The people will come. And that's not the only time that God promises that the nations are going to come and gather around this king of Israel. He promises it in Psalm 72 as well. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. God promises that he will act in mighty ways to save his people, and that his peace and his salvation will go out into all the world. And it's here that our Christmas story enters history. It has been promised. Rome conquers Judah, and we meet Hera. Herod, he is a cunning and politically savvy ruler who aligns himself with the Roman emperor to gain power. He even marries the sister of the Jewish heir to the throne of Judah to try to gain additional legitimacy as king. Now, Herod's not a nice person. He takes some actions which have left a positive legacy in history, like a massive building campaign. He employed the latest technology to create a harbor and builds the city of Caesarea Maritima. He creates multiple fortresses along the borders for the protection of the region. And he decides that Jerusalem should be built as a city fit for royalty. 
He rebuilds the temple to magnificent proportions in a project that takes 80 years to complete. And these projects were designed to gain the favor of the people of Israel. But the projects come at great expense, which requires steep taxes on those people. And the people already carried a heavy burden. In addition to preserve peace with neighboring nations, Herod likes to give luxurious gifts to other rulers. And the people's taxes have to pay for those gifts. Now, that doesn't make the people very happy. And so Herod employs a secret police to keep his subjects in line, and he violently quashes any opposition that arises. Even in his family, he evilly executes those who might threaten his reign. He executed his brother-in-law, Aristobulus III, the Jewish heir to the throne whose sister he married to gain legitimacy to that throne. Then he executes his wife and her mother because that might threaten his crown. He kills another one of his brother-in-laws and eventually three of his sons, Alexander, Aristobulus, and Antipater, because he was worried about what they might do as well. And Herod didn't exactly win any popularity points when he set up a statue of a golden eagle in front of the temple to show his allegiance to Rome. But for that allegiance, he gets what he wants, security. And the Roman Senate gives Herod the title, the King of Judah. This is the world into which Jesus is born. It's dangerous. It's frightening. Rome is in charge, and that helps keep peace and maintain infrastructure, but it also makes it very difficult to maintain Jewish identity. And with Herod on the throne, who knows what life might look like and when danger might strike at any moment, as any incorrect action or incorrect word could be reported by the secret police and get you taken out as well. Life is hard. The taxes are some of the highest we see in the ancient world for people who already struggle just to put food on the table every day. And this is the world into which God comes, this hard dangerous, unpredictable, cruel world as a baby. He doesn't come into a royal family with a CEO father and thousands of soldiers surrounding him to protect him at every moment and care for all of his needs. He comes to a poor woman, and her blue collar works with his hand's husband, where the slightest misstep means death for the infant king. Have any of you ever wondered what God was thinking? This would be one of those times for me. How could you come in such a way where everything could fall apart? And yet, just like in the exile, when everything seemed to be falling apart around God's people, the story of God looks different than we and they imagined it. When the newborn king comes into the world, his arrival is heralded by a star, which is visible to the surrounding nations. In an eastern land, perhaps Arabia, some other area, there are advisors to the king. They're learned men who study prophecies and develop wisdom. They watch the stars, and they prepare for the future. 
these men called magi see this new star when it rises and they know exactly what it means the king of israel and judah who will bring peace to the world has arrived the magi pack their bags it's a long journey to judah after all they're going to need supplies so into the camel bags go food for the journey water to quench their thirst money to pay for lodging and supplies and gifts from their homeland to honor the new king. After their preparations, the Magi gather their attendants and their animals, and they start their journey, following the star that they saw in its rising. It will take them months to reach Judah, but they're undaunted. They've been waiting and watching for this moment. They will not be deterred by distance. Have you ever felt like this? that there are great challenges to something that lies before you, perhaps something that God has promised you, or something that God has asked you to do? What is your response when the time comes? Have you been preparing for something in such a way that when the time comes, all of the difficulties ahead of you don't matter in your obedience and step forward in faith? As the Magi's journey draws to a close, they arrive at the kingdom of Judah. And they go to the king's palace, which is exactly where you would expect them to go, right? This new king was probably born to the current king. And King Herod is named king of Judah, after all. So the Judean king, isn't that the first place you look? In Jerusalem, the Magi ask Herod, Where is the born king of the Jews? We saw his star in its rising. We have come to worship him. Now, Herod's not happy with this news. A new king? Absolutely not. I am the king of the Jews. How dare someone take over my throne? So he calls together the chief priests and the scribes to find out where the Messiah was to be born. It's interesting, isn't it, that Herod knows exactly who the king of the Jews is. He's the Messiah that God has promised, who will rule in peace and will fill the throne of David. But he's deeply troubled, and the leaders of Judah are troubled with him. I wonder what he was thinking. This man who spent so much time and energy defeating his enemies and his family so he could keep power. Does he really think that he can defeat the plans of God? Have we ever felt that way? That we knew exactly what God was saying, but it wasn't quite what we wanted or what we had planned, and so we chose to go our own way instead? Is that where we are now? How does it work for us? How did it work for Herod? Let's get back to our story. The chief priests and scribes tell Herod what the prophecies say. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Now Herod develops a plan of his own. He calls the Magi in secret and asks them exactly when this star appeared, 
so he can figure out exactly when this king was born. Then he tells them, go, find this new king in Bethlehem. And after you find him, come back. Tell me where he is, and I can go worship him too. So the Magi leave, and they follow the star to Bethlehem, to the house where a toddler is living with Mary and Joseph. This king is not in a palace. The current king didn't even know about him. Could he be a real king? He seems like a normal child. His parents don't really seem to be anything special. If we wondered what God was thinking coming into such a dangerous world as a baby, perhaps now we can wonder what the Magi were thinking as well. God is working in ways that are different than they imagined, but their hearts seem to be open to whatever God is doing. They enter their house, and they prostrate themselves before the child. Then they open their camel bags, and they pull out gifts from their homeland, gold, frankincense, myrrh. They have brought the best from home, things that are native to Arabia, because that is what you bring to a king, the best you have. Even the Magi probably couldn't imagine the prophetic significance that those gifts would take in God's providence. Gold, the sign of his kingship. Frankincense, an incense, that you pour out to God. Myrrh, one of the spices you use for Jewish burial. I doubt the Magi thought about those meanings, but God works in ways that are different than we imagine, and he can reveal meaning and purpose even in our lack of understanding. After their visit, the Magi set out for home, God having given them a dream not to go back to Herod. And so, in Herod's territory, surrounded by Herod's legions of soldiers and Herod's secret police, the Magi choose another road home, ready for another long journey. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, Herod waits for them to come back. When he realizes that they have outsmarted him, he is furious, and his evil side reappears. Based on the time when the Magi said the star appeared, Herod gives orders to kill all of the boys two years old and under who live in or around Jerusalem. But God is still working, even in the massacre of the innocents. God knows that real peace can only come if he is with us, Emmanuel. So he sends an angel to warn Joseph in a dream to flee to Egypt to save the life of the king of the Jews. It's not how we would write the story, is it? If we were writing it, no innocent people would die. God would prevent Herod from his evil actions, and everyone would follow and worship this new king. But God works in ways that are different than we imagine. He comes in vulnerability, not power, welcoming all who come to him, but forcing none. He refuses to override Herod's will and Herod's evil actions. But he also refuses to let Herod's evil destroy his plan of salvation. God comes to insignificant Bethlehem 
not the seat of power and tradition in Jerusalem. And he's welcomed by the Gentile magi, those who are outside of the people of God, who shouldn't really even know God's promises. And he is rejected and attacked by the Jewish leaders who are awaiting the Messiah. God enters a world of chaos and decay with wrongs that need righting, an evil ruler on the throne, and innocence who needs saving. And he grows up to change the world in ways no one else has ever imagined through peace, love, forgiveness, salvation, freedom, and the defeat of death. How do you imagine the story of God? How do you imagine his work in your life? Are you willing to let God transform your imagination for the life that he has planned? Who are you in this story? Are you the magi who are open to what God will do and willing to follow God's leading into uncharted territory, not knowing exactly what you'll find? Are you like the Holy Family, in danger and needing God to step in and deliver? Or are you like Herod and the Jewish leaders, unable to imagine a different story than the one that you have planned? Ask God to open your imagination to his story. It may turn out that God is not done with his story in your life. It may just look different than you imagined. Where will we go from here?